Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Federated just wants to say thanks to all local businesses in and around the state of Minnesota. You are our community partners, our neighbors, our families, and our friends. And when you need Federated, Federated is here to help. Visit federatedinsurance.com or call your local marketing representative to access trusted resources you may need during this pandemic. At Federated, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Bill will not be present for Vikings Keys, which I can't believe. Hmm. It's Zolgad and Declan uh, Goff. Action movie rewind. Phil will be present for because we taped a couple days ago. Dirty Harry is the film. You shot me. You shot me, Declan. You can't shoot me. I have rights. How dare you shoot me? Uh, so it is <laughs> going to be Zolgad and uh, Declan Goff. We will wrap with Royce. also. Um, Phil will not be there for that. So the magic of being able to put together a show right. continues to show itself. Okay. Um, before we get to keys, Declan Goff, mm-hmm. I know that there, there was adversity because uh, a strength and conditioning coach passed away. So their week was obviously very tough. Sure. Um, but that being said, can you explain to me, I need help, mm-hmm. a lot of help. Can you explain to me how the team that we saw on Sunday beat the Vikings, um, was the same team that took the field at home, by the way, against Washington's football team on Thursday, because I'm having trouble processing. Either the Vikings are really, really just bad and I need to accept it. Or um, that is a, that is a four day fluctuation that I guess I don't understand. I mean, I love Alex Smith's story. I think it's an awesome story that he's able to come back, and, and now he's the starting quarterback of Washington, and I've, I've always had a soft spot for him. But for Dallas to completely lay an egg, and look, Dallas isn't a, a good football team by any means. I think we all can agree on that. But I have no idea how the hell then the Vikings lost the game. I mean, I mean, the, the Cowboys' defense is atrociously bad. That's a given. Um, the Vikings put up 20, what, 28 points against them as well uh, on Sunday. Washington puts up 41 on Thanksgiving night. <sighs> I, I, it, it's definitely going to be one of the more frustrating ones. I would say, you know, it, it makes, you know, I know the Falcons loss was a dud, but I think now this Cowboys loss stings even more because you definitely should have beaten this team, like 100%. And look, Dak Prescott's out. Ezekiel Elliott looks like a mess, by the way, right now. I mean, his only good game of this year has really been against the Vikings, which was on Sunday. And I know a lot of fantasy football owners are upset about that. Of course, you and I are smart individuals who no longer play fantasy football, so we know how to how that works. However, mm-hmm. um, the fact that Alex Smith and 
basically a, a running backs by committee in Washington just ran all over Dallas. Ugh, it makes it makes the loss thing even more from Sunday. I, I do think that we might just have to accept to the fact that the Vikings defensively, like Chicago can't play offense. They can't function. They can't run and their QB um, is not good. They mm-hmm. just can't play. Green Bay, it was a howling wind in Green Bay, right? Yeah. Um, and Detroit, we saw Detroit. They yeah. li- they literally don't care. <laughs> um, I think we might just need to accept the fact that the Vikings defense sort of caught a break for three games yeah. and just really does right now um, at key positions because they've certainly got some talent. Uh, but at key positions, they either just don't have the necessary experience experience to be successful or yeah. that interior of the defensive line just flat out stinks but yeah and and by the way that is that might be the worst day of thanksgiving football <laughs> as a whole that i've ever seen i mean that lions texans game Ugh. the lions how matt does matt patricia as we record this at ten thirty six on friday central um standard time does matt patricia still have a job he shockingly does i i mean or, yeah the only thing I can so I tweeted this. I, I think I've I think I might have figured out what's going on here. Gaze is still employed. Patricia is still employed. Um, I think teams might be smart enough to know that if the players are going to quit on their coach, allow them to and take the draft pick. Because Houston fired O'Brien, but O'Brien also was GM and was like yeah. actively poisoning the entire well. <laughs> so I think that he had to go. I think if Bill O'Brien had just been coach. You might have ridden out the storm and been like, hell yeah, we'll take these L's. Right. Uh, but the only thing I can figure now is we are to a point where teams are saying, you know what? They quit on Patricia a month ago, mm-hmm. but let them. That's fine. Right. Because that was pathetic. Yeah, it, it was absolutely awful. And, you know, I, I thought Nagy was going to be out of a job before Patricia. But now that pendulum, I feel like, is swimming, swinging right back towards Patricia. But I, you never know. I mean, what was the guy like 13 and like I think 28 as a head coach? I think they saw the graphic yesterday. Jim Caldwell is headed to the Hall of Fame, who, by the way, I advocated firing because I thought they could take the next step. Jim yeah. Caldwell should go into Canton tomorrow if Matt Patricia is going to stay there. And And I do think, to your point, I think the Lions and Bears might, right after the season gets done, I think they both might fire their GM and coach. They should. Because the Trubisky thing, you can't get past. Correct. Like, that's the ultimate sin. And and then I think it's Bob Quinn in Detroit with Patricia. Um, Mm -hmm. That's just a mess, too. So I think we might have 50% of the division actually fire their head executive, as far as the GM goes, job, and coach. So are you ready for it? I am. And pending an absolute absolute collapse, I mean, Spielman and Zimmer are, are safe. I mean, I, I feel mm. like they're, they're safe. They ain't going they're not being fired. They're, they're not, not being – they, they are not – that three-game win streak. Right. Um, I, I didn't think that they were going to get fired before that, but they're definitely not now. And look, 2021 now becomes imperative to be successful. Mm-hmm. But um, the one thing about firing people, I will say, during a pandemic is how many people do you want to continue paying while having to pay entire right. new staffs? Now, now Chicago and Detroit are messes, so I mm-hmm. can actually sort of see that. The Vikings are not. The Vikings will not make any significant change. The, I, In fact, you know what? For next Wednesday, write this down. The Vikings' <laughs> most significant change will be um, a new special teams coach in 2021 because i'm confident that poor old marwin maloof will be gone but that's going to be the most that's probably going to be the bit the biggest change because i think the gm and coach to you what you're saying are completely safe 
Keys? Let's do it. We're going a cappella because we don't have our bells and whistles right now. No, we don't. Logan and I uh, being at home and having a few too many uh, adult beverages last night. I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know how many you had, Judd. I don't know if you paced yourself. Actually, I did a pretty good job. I did I have a nap. I paced myself well last night. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I, I did a nap between at about 7 to 8 o'clock. That really, really nice. helped. And then, well, I can't, and then, drink, um, I can't drink that much on a day I'm going to eat that much. Oh, well, like, yeah. I can't I, do both. Can you? I, I, I know I, I made, made the point, and, and Phil made it too on Wednesday. I, I can put back the food, and despite I, I won't show for it, I can, I can safely say my stomach was at max capacity by about 6 o'clock between the, the, uh, the two servings of, of, of turkey. I ate a whole thing of stuffing's my all-time favorite, so I even had like a whole side dish just to myself. Um, two pieces of apple pie. I mean, I, I had a hard cider that that was spiked. It, there was a lot going on, Judd, uh, and a couple Stellas that were put back. It was my my bloating stomach was at max capacity for a guy of my stature and size. So it was it was tough, but See, I, tuckered, I, I, I I tuckered through it. I drank three or four beers during the early football game, but then mm-hmm. we ate, and then once I eat, I can't go back to the beer. I I can't go back. Oh, and interesting. Forth, but then I, I'm too full. See, because then it absorbs the alcohol. In my opinion, I thought it would be the opposite effect for you. No, because there's no, there's not enough room because beer is filling Fill, enough where I can't I can't do okay. both. But uh, okay. oh man, the wife and I and Stella that was it here and <laughs> Don, and Don has cooked enough. We have we have enough to last us for like two weeks now. So it. it was ridiculously good, ridiculously. All right, keys. I love Key number one. I love the props. Okay, I'm going to go. I've got four keys, and keys is going to go backwards four to one as he ordinarily does because he's convinced that he crescendos with the right. most important key, and then he's going to get paid more, which I keep telling him, you're right. not. It's a pandemic. You're not going to get a raise. Keys right. just calm the bleep down. Is he right. a millennial like me? Is, is he? Does he think he's worth more than he actually is, or is he? Is he up there in age? You know, no, he's um he's between us. He's okay. He's uh, between us. Keys is. It, it, I don't. Want to reveal his exact age, but Keith okay. is in his forties, okay. so he's right between us. But he is a bitter forty. Uh, I think he's forty three. He's okay. a bitter forty three. He is not happy with life. And I mean, I keep telling him, Keith. Okay, so key number four to a Vikings victory over the Carolina Panthers on Sunday at U.S. Bank Stadium. Healthy choice. We've got we've got two problems. Declan Goff going into Mm -hmm. this game. We've got two problems. Number one, does Adam Thielen have COVID-19 or is he just on the list because he got exposed? Because I believe it's four or five days of of consecutive past tests. If you've just been exposed means that he could be cleared and he could play and then it's fine. But if he's got COVID, he's not playing. And we don't know when the league is not and teams are not required to tell us. So if you go from... Thielen, Jefferson, Cook, I mean, you know, there are certainly some components there uh, that make the Vikings dangerous offensively to, let's say, Jefferson, Cook, Cousins. Irv Smith is hurt, too. I think he's got now a groin and a back, and he actually was limited on practice on Wednesday and didn't practice on Thursday. And then the other one that's an absolute key, and this is where the game, if all of this goes wrong, the game could definitely um, become much dicier is Harrison Smith showed up with a neck injury on Wednesday. He did not practice. He was limited in practice on Thursday, which is good news. But to go back to what we've always talked about, when it comes to a neck, like you're not like, oh, it's just a tweak neck. No big deal. So unless he unless he slept wrong, which I severely doubt, mm-hmm. um, you've got Thielen on the COVID list right now. You've got Smith with a neck 
problem that I'm guessing he'll try and play through, but there's a chance he can't. Uh, Irv Smith. So if you all all of a sudden take, let's say, two of those three or all three of those guys out, Declan Goff, this becomes a much dicier game. So key four is the healthy choice of the Vikings. Love it. Key number three. Key number three for the Vikings, pivoting um, solely to the defensive side of the football. Okay. Bad run, as in bad run defense. Now, you do catch a break on key three. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, who yeah. has a shoulder problem, is not going to play. So right. he, he's been declared basically out. So that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but this run d- defense against Dallas got absolutely gashed. And the stat I looked up yesterday is is in seven of the ten games that the Vikings have played now, mm-hmm. in seven of those ten games, the opponents have rushed for 100 or more yards. Uh-huh. That's not Viking-like. That, that's a problem. Oh. Dallas had a huge game, as you talked about, Declan, with Zeke on Sunday. And so despite the fact that Carolina won't have McCaffrey, I think there's a real question about how exposed and exploited this Vikings run defense can be and when you've got seven of ten games that's not like a bad day that's a bad run defense (laughs) which for zim is uh not the norm but uh that is key three is is if you can't stop the run like you didn't on sunday you're probably in huge huge trouble all right key number two a diet of dalvin (laughs) okay this is actually a key that i find to be so this is a Key to win is Dalvin, okay? Because right. he obviously carries the ball a ton, and he's very good. Mm-hmm. But this is a key that also intrigues me. The Vikings are now four and six, correct? Yes. So my question, and I'll give you some stats here. My question becomes, at what point in time, if you are the Vikings, do you make a conscious decision internally to peel back on how much he's being used based on the fact that, you know, you're four and six. So let's say you mm-hmm. go to four and seven, or heck, five and six you're really not a playoff type team like you're sort of in the race loosely but my point is you're you're firing the dalvin bullet every week all the time um i want to give you the dalvin cook um stats touches and carries okay mm-hmm. rushing attempts pre and post bye week because okay. this this is this tells you a ton about what the complete formula now is to win and i guess my question is do you continue this even if it looks like your playoff chances uh, are basically gone. Okay. Five games pre-bye week. Dalvin Cook, 18.4 carries, rushing attempts per game, 20.8 touches. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's That's five games. Yeah. Four games post-bye. So he he gets hurt and uh, sits out the second half against Seattle. He then doesn't play against in that loss to the Falcons. And then there there have been four. So he sits out the Falcons game, the bye week. He comes back for the Green Bay game in the first week after the bye. Mm -hmm. Since then, the rushing attempts for Dalvin Cook have gone from 18.4 to 27.3 per game. Per game. Mm -hmm. The touches have gone from 20.8 to, in the last four games, he is averaging 30.5 touches per game. Okay? So I get the fact that he's, incredibly important i get the fact that he is a a pro bowl um mvp candidate type of player yeah but my question becomes do we continue continue to see a steady diet of dalvin because he definitely can help you win but is 
shooting the Dalvin bullets all the time right now in 2020, when you clearly would like them to be around for a little mm-hmm. while, 21, 22, is that the smart move? And, and this is not to sound facetious or anything, but it, it, it the reason they go so heavy on Dalvin is because they have to, because they don't trust the quarterback to throw 30 times a game, Judd. I mean, I mean, I, I know that's a no-duh situation. We, we've seen how the season has been playing out now for 10 weeks, but they don't trust the quarterback to carry them. So that means that you have to give the running back 33 touches a game because if everything flows through him, and, and I've been an adamant proponent of Dalvin Cook. I think I've even defended him maybe even more and, and his usage and his touches and his contract maybe even more than you and Mackie and Judd have. Um, but at the same time, when you get down in the game and it's late in the game and you can no longer run the football and you have to trust the quarterback, it's the quarterback's job to make the comeback happen. They don't know what to do. So that's why they have to build up these touches for Dalvin because they have no other way to function on offense. I don't agree that it's not the best plan because you're seeing this league become a pass happy, heavy team. And you have a see, see a team like the chiefs who have one, the best quarterback, maybe of our generation with holes all over the team. But guess what? They trust their quarterback every single time to go out there and make a big play and they're running and their running game is basically non-existent. You know, it, it, it's, it's amazing watching the Vikings basically play 2002 football in 2020. Yeah. And the question becomes then though, do, do you at some point in time internally, and this goes above Mike have to accept your fate and look, you could say we will continue to run, but Cook's touches are going to go from, from again, 30.5. Let's just say down to 20. M- Madison could be used more. Like yeah. you could very easily accept your fate. Sure. And, and, and here's the thing too. And this might actually be the smartest thing. Put the ball back in Kirk's hands, put the ball back in Kirk's hands. Now the problem with that is as the pressure goes down because the, the year becomes potentially more and more hopeless mm-hmm. that the ball being back in Kirk's hands, Kirk will do great things because when the pressure's off, Kirk's sure. great. Um, but you are, you right now, look, the what, the thing that I will say for Peterson in his prime and his career, he is a freak of nature that he's still playing now. Dalvin yeah. Cook at, at AP's age will not be playing. Mm-hmm. Um, the ordinary, the ordinary cycle of a running back's life who's doing what Cook is doing is by the time that he is Peterson's age, he is hurting he is on a couch he is retired okay so i guess my question is do you go to mike and say mike we signed dalvin to a contract to help us when we're good right now we're not good and you are literally going into every game um costing him time off his career which he's doing and if we get this down to 15 to 20 touches per game um, and you know what? Put the ball in Kirk's hands. At this point in time, too, we're getting very close to a who cares? Yeah. Like, what are you really? Oh, boy, if we don't win that game against Jacksonville or we don't win that game, okay, what? What's going to happen? You're going to miss the playoffs. And look, the other thing, too, is, and this would be a very compelling case to make to Mike. Mike, your defense stinks. Your whole existence is built off that side of the football. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me, that you're going to make Dalvin Cook pay the price when that side of the ball, which is how you see life, like you see it through the prism of defense, yep. when that side stinks and has no chance in a playoff game, they would get roasted by a decent team, absolutely yes. roasted. You're telling me that you're going to use up 
a very talented offensive player to make what point? Like, what are you doing? It's not smart. No, it's not. So, but for a win, a diet at Alvin. All right. This is going to hurt you. Oh, boy. I'm, I got to do it. Don't you dare. I got to do it. Don't you dare. Got to do it. I know key, what you're doing. Key number one. Let, let's hear the key. Take a sip of my coffee here. Oh too. My this God. Is, I like this. I, I know exactly where you did. You tease it, and I know exactly where you're going. I already know it. I know sports, Dad. In Mr. Miyagi fashion, pass on, pass off. <laughs> Student versus teacher. <laughs> Student versus teacher. Teddy Bridgewater returns on Sunday to play against the coach who loved him, Mike Zimmer, and the Vikings. Now, the Panthers aren't good, but here's the thing I like about Teddy, and I, and I do think and I do think that there is real potential here. I looked this up yesterday, too. Teddy's contract, okay? Mm-hmm. I love his contract. Yeah. Three contract. years, 63 mil, guaranteed 8 mil, 8 mil in 2020. That's fine. Yeah. 17 and 21 and 20 mil in 2022. But anyway, Declan, I just thought I would key one is pass on, pass off. Student versus teacher. Here's my question to you. Who do you think Zim is going to be cheering for on Sunday? <laughs> and who are you going to be? Because I think it might be the same thing, and it might not be the home team. I know. Um, I, it's actually really funny because in our confidence concerns and curiosity, which is what we're going to do on Purple Daily uh, for Friday afternoon as well on your podcast feeds and on YouTube at youtube.com slash purple daily. Uh, my, my confidence is that I am in a no-lose situation, Judd Zolgab. When I watch this football game, I'm in a no lose situation. I'm just going to give you a tease right there. Uh, I obviously I have made my if Mike Zimmer has made his feelings clear on Teddy Bridgewater. I have made mine even more clear on Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I, I want him to succeed. I think he is succeeding. He's on a bad path. Everyone knew this Panthers team wasn't going to be be world views. But I mean, they got up to a, a halfway decent start. I believe they were close to 500 about a month ago. Now they're three and seven. They're most likely going to probably be a five or six win football team at the max this year. Mm-hmm. But Teddy's doing everything that Teddy has always done before, which is make the right passes. He's a great leader. When McCaffrey went out, he galvanized the team. You know, like all He's those Teddy. things that we all heard about Teddy, Teddy. It's baby. true. But when people see the, the the stat line, they only see 14 touchdowns or whatever the hell it is. It's just, oh, well, he, he, hasn't, he doesn't do anything sexy or blah, blah, blah. I want this guy to succeed, and I'm I'm very excited to watch him either carve up the Vikings on on Sunday, which I will be very ecstatic about. And if the Vikings win, it's also fine with me. It's gravy, dude. But you make a good point. I don't know who Zimmer will be rooting for. I think it's number five. Yeah, but I can't confirm. I can't confirm it. I love I love how you Ted heads all are like I can't lose because if look if Teddy Bridgewater comes in here and plays a really solid. Great game, potentially. You are going to be crying in front of your television, yeah, wondering about what could have been. So don't give me this. I don't. You are going to be invested no matter what. You are going to be invested. And if he comes in and he beats his former coach and his old team, you are going you are going to be so conflicted as to what <laughs> could have been. And and what makes it worse is the Ted Heads clearly probably don't like Kirk that much. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like, well, you know, Teddy's playing great, but you got your QB too, or the Vikings do. No, 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 no. If Kirk throws a couple picks, 
and Teddy throws a couple touchdowns and does and does the Teddy stuff where he gets them, you know, dink and dunk and the occasional deep pass. And the Carolina Panthers leave U.S. Bank Stadium with, let's say, a 27 to 14 win. You are going to be upset. You're going to be conflicted. And don't give me this I don't care stuff. You are going to care. It's going to eat you up. And and because I tweeted this a couple of days back. And I don't think people got what I was trying to say. But I said, on the Minnesota sports spectrum in the last, mm-hmm. let's say, 25 years of what could have been, where does this guy rank? And, of exactly. course, I, I got back, well, Ortiz won World Series. No, that's not my point. Where could this have been? I mean, this was Zimmer's plan. Zimmer, yep. I don't I don't know how to say this clearly enough, Declan, but my personal opinion is Mike Zimmer hates quarterbacks. He tries to stop them. Yep. He sees he he sees evil. He sees evil at every turn because he says these guys are the ones who try and beat me, right? But Teddy was his guy. He loved him. He loved how he was wired. He loved how he played because he was low risk. Like all of the things that drove um some fans nuts are the things that the coach loved, which is he didn't really throw picks like he didn't throw for, for the, the most part. He didn't make dumb plays like occasionally he did. But that's where that's where my whole thing is. You know, what happens if Teddy does not get hurt in 2016 when the team gets off to that great start? What happens in the, you know, potentially 13 and three season 2017? Um, do the Vikings have they made a Super Bowl appearance? By now? We don't know. We'll never know any of that. And so that was my point about the, the great question of if things had worked out as this organization planned. And plus, guess what, too? In their minds, they had found their quarterback. Like, think about the conversations that we have about, well, his cousins, but have Keenum, and then, right? And like all of the Viking QBs, they, in their opinion, right or wrong, they had found their quarterback. This was going to be their guy. They were going to build the franchise around this guy. The what me. could have been will always gnaw. It will always gnaw at a <sighs> certain faction like you, a Vikings fan. He, you know, Zimmer is the, uh, you know, the father of the girlfriend who hates all the boyfriends that she brings home. And then Teddy came along and he was like, oh, my God, this is the guy I like. I even like her more than my, I like him more than my daughter. I think I want to have this as my own son. You know, like he, that is who he is. He hates quarterbacks. That's what he is. And if Teddy, I can't decide if I want Teddy to go and ball out and throw for like, that's I'm my gonna, point. See, admit it. You're conflicted see, as hell. See, 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 I, see, I don't, I don't know. To get through to you. I don't know which one I want more. Do I want him to like throw up for like 400 yards and carve up the Vikings? And it's like 35 to three, or do I want the classic Teddy? You're down four points. There's a two-minute drill. Can he lead the team down and, 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 and put a dagger in you for the last two minutes? I don't know which, which result Is I truly want more. Is this being invited to a, a, um, an ex-girlfriend's wedding who you loved? Yeah, but like, yeah, it's, it's close. It's close, but like usually, uh, it's, it's very difficult. I'm trying, to th- I'm trying to think of like the right parallel because like uh, – Usually, if it's his ex girlfriend, like she probably broke your heart. Like you, you did something wrong, or she did something wrong. Where this one, it was like, well, let's just say she said, you know what? Um, in 2016, she told you, Declan, I love you, but you know what? I'm just not prepared for this yet. Like I'm just not. I can't yeah. do this yet. And yeah. she didn't do something wrong, but she right. just said, I need to be free. I want to be free. <laughs> And you're like, but I don't. And she's like, no, I'm sorry. I really am. But I just, it's, it's nothing to do. You've done nothing wrong. Yeah. And I, but I just need more life experience. Mm-hmm. And she found it. 
and you still love her and she's happy and it's great to see, but now you're at her wedding. Yeah. Like, do you want to see, do you want to object? If anybody has any objections to the next Teddy Bridgewater pass, speak now or forever hold your peace. And you're like, don't throw that ball for the Carolina Panthers, damn it. Exactly. It's tough, man. I, I I can't wait to watch him play. I'm so I'm so so you're excited to watch him play. You're I can't conflicted. wait. What's next here, Declan? De- uh, let's uh, you know what? Let's trans. Let's get our guy Mackie in here. Let's transition to some action. We rewind some dirty Harry. Dirty Harry. I can't you wait. You shot me. You shot me. I'm right. You shot me. Oh God. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Hey. I got to know. Oh. Hey, real quick, before we jump into Action Movie Rewind, Dirty Harry. Do you think he said that to every single criminal that he pointed the gun at in his whole career? Did he say that? Like, he said it twice in the movie, but do you think right. he said it to, like, 500 different criminals? I, I think only the ones that meant it. Because, like, he's got to bust so many chops, you know, I'm, I'm sure. I don't, I don't think he says yeah. it to everyone. I think if you pulled a gun on him, he probably said it. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty good. Like, but like, so like if, if you, you pulled a gun, he probably said it to you. Like, if he pulls you over for, for weaving no, in and out no, of traffic. No, 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 no. But if you pulled a gun on him, then yes, then he probably did. I know what you're thinking, punk. You're thinking, did he fire six shots or only five? Now, to tell you the truth, I forgot myself and all this excitement. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and will blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? <laughs> Action Movie Reviews with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. Get to the chopper! Yippee-ki-yay, mother... Callahan! Sir, I don't want any more trouble like you had last year in the Fillmore District. Understand? That's my policy. Yeah, well, when an adult male is chasing a female uh, with intent to commit rape, I shoot the bastard. That's my policy. Intent? How did you establish that? Well, a naked man is chasing a woman through an alley with a butcher knife and a heart on I figure he isn't out collecting for the Red Cross. <laughs> Action Movie Rewind. And we are throwing it back. I think, gentlemen, this is the oldest action movie we have ever reviewed. Mm-hmm. Dirty Harry from 1971. I don't think because 48 Hours was like Death Wish is the second, and I think it was 74. So I think you're right. So we have uh, we've set a new mark. This was Decl- Declan's pick. Won the vote. It was one of the closest votes in the oh my gosh, what the three yeah. or four week history of voting on Action Movie Rewind. Uh, the Marine with John Cena did not fare very well. Uh, yeah. Stumbled out of the. You game were game. happy about that though. You purposely yeah, I tried threw, to pick one that you knew didn't. Yeah, you did. I threw the vote. I wanted Dirty Harry, uh, and and we got Dirty Harry. So let's go through. We'll go through the summary, and then we'll get to all of the key questions from this classic. Cop Harry Callahan, played by Clint Eastwood, attempts to track down a psychopathic rooftop killer before a kidnapped girl dies. When he is found, Harry abuses the murderer's civil rights, putting him back on the streets. Once he's released, he hijacks a school bus, and Harry must go after him again. The only way to stop this vicious killer is is in cold blood. 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Dirty Harry launched 
a series of Dirty Harry movies. I think there were five total spanning all the way through uh, the late 80s with different names. It wasn't like right. Dirty Harry 1, Dirty Harry 2. I shouldn't know that. Right. Yeah, it's like, uh, let me find it here. The last one is has nothing to do with that name, and it's, I believe, I, Eastwood. Impact or something? Yeah, and I think Eastwood directed it by then. So you've got Mag- you've got She's Magnum Force then. two years later, The Enforcer in 1976, Sudden Impact, which was directed by Clint Eastwood in 83. That's what it is. And then The Deadpool in 1988 were all okay. dirty, hairy movies. 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. A $4 million budget turned into $36 million at the box office. So which, a nice little success In 1971 was enormous. Yep, I believe translated for inflation, I think it was like a $150 million box office movie. It was pretty good. Pretty good. Clint Eastwood and then a bunch of, bunch of random uh, people in this movie. So let's get to the key questions. Judd, your main takeaway from Dirty Harry. Okay, hold on a second. I got to flip through. I got three pages of notes for this one because it was so I enjoyed it so much. Here. Okay, wow. my main takeaway. <laughs> you triple spaced a couple of those. Yeah. My my main take. Well, yeah, but I mean, yes, but Pretty it's still effect. it's still three pages. Um, my main takeaway from this film, which I had seen parts of before on commercial TV, but had not committed myself to previously to actually sit down and break it down and watch it all the way through was how perfectly 1970s this film was. But I mean that in a good way, it was seedy. It was dark. It was gritty. It was creepy. It was shot largely at night where it was actually hard to see the scenes, but they, they did did that on purpose. It was politically incorrect. It was politically incorrect as could be the, the term, the term is neo-noir action thriller film. And this lived up to it perfectly. Wow. I remember as a kid, so I, I was born in November of 69, and so I grew up ba- basically in the 70s as far as just getting to know the world, and I remember in the 70s I was sort of scared of life. I, I'm like, this this is all very dark and creepy. Like, this decade <laughs> seems very dark and creepy and eerie, and I thought, you know what? It's just me. I'm young. You know, I'll grow up, but I now realize the 70s was that. Like, it was sort of just, like, weird and and odd. So that was kind of my question is, like, did people just live in fear of Zodiac killers? Yes. All it was throughout very, the yeah. 70s? Um, hijackers on planes. Mm-hmm. I'm still scared of that. Serial killers were big. Were bigger then than they are now. Um, we didn't We didn't really, because we didn't have ter- terrorists as we know them now, but we did have people who would hijack planes, which scared you. Um, it's probably and, a lot easier to hijack a plane in the 70s. And films themselves, too, I feel like were shot very differently. And this, fil- this film, to me, encapul- encapsulates how 70s films were shot. So my, my main takeaway was really how it was done. Okay, on the neo-noir thing, so I've never heard that. Was that in like, like Wikipedia the Wikipedia page or something? Neo-noir action thriller film. So I Googled neo-noir movies expecting, oh, it's probably like a lot of late 60s, 70s, right? Kind of dark, dingy. There are actually multiple modern neo-noir movies. And if I, I'm going to throw some of these at you guys. And if you can, and obviously like the fact that these were filmed 40 years later, it's it's a it feels different, but kind of the same. Okay. John Wick movies? Neo noir, I can see that. Yeah, sort yeah. of dark, right? Yeah. yeah, they are very dark. Have you guys ever seen Drive with Ryan Gosling? Yeah, uh, yes. Actually, it might might be a selection on this week's uh, this week's choice, dude. I was we should. So, okay. Spoiler alert. Good enough. It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, and it fits perfectly here. 
Um, let me see what else. I've, I've seen it, and it is, and it would fit as well because yes, it was very sort of dark. Yeah, John Wick Three is on here. There's a couple Harrison Ford movies. Blade Runner with Harrison Ford in 1982. Not seen it. So a seven is a neo noir thriller. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Saw that in the theater. That's a real good one. Super creepy twist at the end. But but I do feel I do feel like this film was shot literally darker than those films. Mm. Like those films were dark and sort of grainy, yeah. but this is literally shot at night at times so that you really can't tell exactly what's going on. Yeah. It was interesting. Declan, what was your main takeaway? Uh just how much of a badass Clint Eastwood was. You know, like obviously I, I haven't seen a lot of old Clint Eastwood or or, or younger I should say, Clint Eastwood. I, I you know, Grand Torino is one of like my all time favorite movies. Um it's I I love that film. So getting getting to see him actually in the seventies with hair and in the flesh and um <laughs> Him just being a badass through the entire film. And I love how kind of Judd said it's uniquely shot where it's dark. And then also I believe like the first words aren't uttered till like the, you know, six minutes in once they're just surveying that first kill and whatnot. So I thought that was super interesting. And I would say this is the most like psychological action movie review we've done. Like it was just it, there was there's was a lot of twists and it was kind of dark. It plays into the neo-noir. So, yeah, I would say Clint Eastwood and just how, honestly, like, probably not innovative. I don't think that's the right word for the 70s, but how cool it probably must have been to see a film like this in the early 70s. Would you say this movie was better than Trouble with the Curve in terms of uh, Clint oh Eastwood God. movies? That's one of the worst <laughs> Amy Adams is great in that. I have no idea what you're talking <laughs> about. one of the worst films of all time. She's fantastic. Was Trouble with the Curve, that came out after Moneyball, right? Yeah. It, was, it was like the response to Justin Moneyball. Justin Timberlake, I think, is in it too. JT's in it. <laughs> Well, Amy Adams, oh no. By that point, Clint was just playing I'm old, get off my lawn, Clint. Yeah. Yeah, he, in fact, all right. Like, he's made a career of that. Baby, right? I mean, he's in that He's made movie. a career of being like, get off yeah, my Yeah, Million Dollar lawn. Baby. It's a great movie. So his, his run in the 2000s, Space Cowboys 2000, Blood Work, I haven't seen Blood Work. Million Dollar Baby, Gran Torino in 2008, Trouble with the Curve in 2012. He was an American sniper, uncredited. He hmm. directed that movie. I didn't know he was in okay. it. Okay. Um, and then if you go all the way back, he was in all kinds of what they call spaghetti western movies, too. That's the good and the bad, the uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. If there's a Mount Rushmore of Clint Eastwood movies, and I'll admit, like, Clint Eastwood, he, Clint Eastwood is more Judd's time, but even before Judd's time, because he really took off in the 60s. So I haven't, like, really dove into all of the Clint Eastwood classics. Spaghetti western is a great term. But the good, the bad, and the ugly is on the Mount Rushmore. Dirty Harry's on the Mount Rushmore. Yes. I think Gran Torino is probably on the Mount Rushmore, yeah. too. And then there's a million other ones that you could probably put in this mix. But he was in from like 19, let me pull this up here, from 1955, and then this movie was 1971. I think he was in other non-Western movies, but a lot of his stuff between 55 and 71 in his 20s and 30s was Westerns. And And they would pump out... Like John Wayne, for instance, was probably the biggest Western star of all time, right? In the 30s, 40s, 50s, and war movies. And it's amazing. You see top stars now, and they might do like one movie a year, maybe two movies a year. Sometimes you get to a point where like Tom Hanks is doing like one movie every two or three years, right? They don't need to. I mean, back in the day, guys like Clint Eastwood were pumping out like four or five movies a year. Even in 1971, he did... Dirty Harry, Play Misty for Me, and The Beguiled. I don't know what those other two movies are, but he's like at his peak and he's doing three movies in a year. And I feel like that's not quite as common now, especially during COVID. They're not doing any movies now. My main takeaway was similar to Declan's in that Clint Eastwood just, like it didn't matter who else was in the movie. This was 
two hours or an hour and a half of Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. And his entire character is just like the epitome of a 1960s and 70s man's man. (laughs) He is our dad's generation's man's man, right? I don't know who that is now. Maybe The Rock. Probably The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, right? But you didn't need... His key was, though, that that was at a time when actually if they didn't give you a lot of dialogue, it was almost a good thing. Like now it's almost, now it seems like there's more. Uh, but back then, like Dex said, he goes a long time without talking. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of sort of grunting and hissing and, moaning and sneering. Yeah. But not a lot of like, he's got lines, but he doesn't have, if you did this film now, if you came back and decided to do this film in 2020, I feel like there'd be a lot more funny sort of creative lines from the main character. Back then, it was just like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he just they like. They call me Dirty Harry because I clean up all that. Dirt. Now you know kids. <laughs> well, now there's now the scene know. where he's eating a giant hot dog while still yes. shooting. That's a great scene. That's a bank robber. No, he tells the guy, call, call the police. There's a two one two. There's a two. There's a, yeah, yeah. Make sure you tell <laughs> well, him. It's great. He in, also he also progress. he clearly goes to that diner like every day. It's like the lunch or dinner. Does it make a difference? Yep. So clearly it must be a hot dog for lunch, and I got to imagine it's a burger for dinner. Right. It, it, it's definitely not a salad, and yeah, it's yeah. definitely and not it, sushi. And it might be the same thing. It's the it's it's either a steak, a burger. I could. I even wrote down in my notes because like I've. I worked in baseball obviously for two years with the Saints and covering twin stuff too. Like I ate hot dogs every single day I worked. And like I could totally eat a hot dog every single day from my diner. And also mustard only. I don't know if you saw that, Judd, but mustard only. Was it mustard only? On that yep. hot dog. Yep. Mustard only. But it's just great how he sees the car outside the bank. <laughs> yeah. It's running so he knows that it's a robbery. That's too And hard. then but but they they did a very good job of sort of subtly setting up who he was without hammering you over the head with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I'm trying now, now that we're getting into sort of the, you know, like the, the iconic nature of Clint Eastwood. I, I really feel like top action stars of like movie star action guys, the man's men of each generation is a thing. Like there's the Clint Eastwood men, right? Oh, yeah. my, my dad grew up in the Clint Eastwood. He was John you know, Wayne high school before, college, right. John Wayne, Clint yep. Eastwood, where, you know, they've constantly got a toothpick in. If you went into their bathroom, they probably have a toothbrush with no toothpaste and a bar of soap, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're just manly men. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they, you know, they have scruff and they grunt and things like that. And then in the 80s, it became more like glam. It was these bodybuilder types, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it became and colorful. Kind of steroidy. And, yeah. yeah. That, yep. That's when colorful. it changed to dialogue and, hey, let's shoot this in as much color yeah. as possible. <laughs> yep. So yeah, so just Clint Eastwood as an icon and a man's man, and uh, and I would say we played the clips off the top. I think him with the "Do you feel lucky?" line twice in this movie. I think that's Punk. one of the greatest, most iconic, especially yeah. the end one where he, where he actually pulls the trigger and shoots him. I think that's one of the five or ten most iconic action movie scenes of all time. Yeah, pretty solid. And just the, the line five. itself. That's the only yeah, thing, that's the only thing I knew great. about this movie. I knew that line existed from this movie, and that was it. Yeah. He also has the, in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, I believe, it's it's the go-ahead, make my day. Is so that when that is? I think so. Okay. Or is, I don't, I don't know when that movie. line is from, because, yeah. Go ahead, make my day, make my and day. then uh, do you feel lucky? So he's got these iconic Here's lines. my My question is this. Post this film, 
how many of those guns were sold? Because he basically does an ad for the gun. Oh, by the way, sudden impact is go ahead and make my day. He basically does an ad for that, that gun. Like, he tells you all about the gun. <laughs> it's the most powerful gun. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah. Hey, can I buy one? Yeah. Home protection? I think you're probably right. Can uh, I blow your head right off? Clean off. Clean off. <laughs> Play one more time. I know what you're thinking, punk. You're thinking, did he fire six shots or only five? Now, to tell you the truth, I forgot myself and all this excitement. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and will blow your head clean off. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? <laughs> I love the comma before punk. Like, the clear comma. Pause. Lucky. Punk. That's good stuff. Uh, what was your favorite part of this movie, Judd? Gotta go back to my last page of notes here. Okay, this is, go- this is going to sound weird because it's not a main part, but... It helped about halfway through establish the character perfectly, and I thought it was it was at the same time funny but effective. It's when they, they get called for the jumper, and he takes the cherry picker <laughs> all the way to the top of the roof, and the guy's threatening to jump, and Harry insults the jumper, to which the jumper says, you know, you son of a... And he lunges at him, and Harry grabs the jumper... Cole cocks him, knocks him out cold, pulls him into the cherry picker, and takes him down. I thought that was a great scene. Like, it's hilariously funny. It, it establishes that that character is has that name because he cleans up all the crap, right? Yeah. Like, he goes to jumpers. He thwarts a, a bank robbery attempt. Like, he does all of the crap for the police. I thought that scene was absolutely perfect. It was quick, effective, and funny. He's also he. he I'm trying to think of a, an, an athlete comparison here because he's a, he's kind of a superstar, but he's willing to roll up his sleeves and do the dirty work too. You know, he, like he'll grab a rebound, he'll dive into a fumble pile. He might be a slightly better Ben. Zobrist in Zobrist is prime. Yeah, he can kind of do everything. Because he can play left, he can play second, he can play short if he has to. He can he can negotiate, he can investigate, he can do traditional police work. And and he's got a great shot. He does. Like does. that shot, he's clean blowing people away from two blocks. Holding kids under their arms. Yeah. He's got a, yeah, he's got a rifle from right field, that's what he has. He does. Uh Declan, your favorite part about Dirty Um Air. outside of like obviously that the first scene where we talked about where he has the hot dog and he's literally does the first uh, do you feel lucky part. I also loved the like psychological part between him and the killer in the phone booth scene. All right, police officer. This is how we play. I bounce you all over town to make sure you're alone. If I even think you're being followed, the girl dies. If you talk to anyone, I don't care if it's a Pekingese pissing against the lamppost, the girl dies. Is the girl okay? Just shut up and listen. No car. I give you a certain amount of time to go from phone booth to phone booth. I ring four times. You don't answer by the fourth ring. I hang up, and that's the end of the game. The girl dies. What time you got? 9.30. Now listen. You listen. I'm watching you. Not all the time, but you'll never know when or where. It's pretty pretty cool, to like the way they set up that whole scene where he's chasing phone booths. He's trying to figure it out. He's also trying to play coy because he knows his, like, his, yeah. his partner is still kind of in on it as well. And when they finally meet, he, like, honestly almost beats him to a death. Like, he almost kills Harry. Um, and I just love the psychologicalness between the two. And and when I get into my least favorite part, it, it 
it kind of when I first saw this movie, or when I first started watching it, my least favorite part really stood out. But then I kind of understood it, and I, I rescinded it a little bit. Like I think it still applies. But I love, I just love their dynamic together because I mean, he is flipping insane. Yeah, the I think I think you nailed it with the payphones here because it, it's it's a dynamic that doesn't really exist today. That he has to go. It's it's nighttime. It's hard to sort of navigate your way around. He knows the city because he's from San Francisco, but but he doesn't have an iPhone and a GPS, right? He's like he, he has to go from payphone station to payphone station within a certain amount of time and and pick up the phone before the fourth ring. And just imagine, like, I can't even navigate my way around Roseville without GPS. <laughs> and I've my... lived here for 35 years. And he's, like, navigating San Francisco with <laughs> what he thinks is you know, a woman's life on the line. Here's my she's question, dead. though. Would you do it with a blazer on the whole time? <laughs> I love how he's running around San Francisco like a madman. And, and by the way, he really does not start to sweat, which I don't get because I'd be dying. But he does it with a blazer on the whole. It's like, dude, lose the blazer, okay? It is amazing. Well, uh, I think... James Bond is notorious for keeping the blazer on oftentimes. <laughs> okay. And uh, it happens in Mission Impossible, too, where, like, they'll just be dressed up at some some gala. And, and it's the 70s, so it's different, but I just loved how the blazer <laughs> never came off. And he, like, didn't start sweating profusely. No. I think, okay, my favorite part of this movie, this is a little bit of, uh, I, I, was, I was probably going to go in a different direction until Declan brought up the payphone thing, because I love that scene, too. I'm going to go with the use of the newspaper classified section in this movie. So Scorpion is demanding $100,000, and he's also demanding that they post their response in the San Francisco Chronicle. And so I don't know how how did he – I can't remember. Did he say classified section? But they So they put their response, the police department, in the classified section. Right. And they said, to Scorpion, we agree we just need more time or something. And he and he somehow finds it in what I would assume is a pretty jam packed classified section in the seventies in San Francisco. But um, how much of you guys? Declan's probably zero. How much of you guys ever dabbled in the old school newspaper classified section? Not in the classified section. Though. Oh, I mean, are you kidding? Yeah. No. <laughs> is it still a thing? It used to be huge. Um, I don't even know, but if it is, it's not much. I, but it used to be everything. Like it used to be a form of selling your stuff, or you know, yeah, I, the, it was. Enormous, And then I think Craigslist came along yeah. in the early 2000s and sort of undercut it a little bit. Well, And then all these apps now. And the like, real estate, right? Because that, that the, the uh, Sunday paper used to be so huge because the section that had all of the uh, listings for houses and stuff that's right. were enormous. And like Edina Realty right. used it. And then they all took their business online because I think it's basically free. Apartments, too. And like now, you, yeah. now you just go to apartments. But I mean, that... Yeah. Newspapers used to basically print money off of that because those sections were huge. Yeah, the old, the nineteen seventies and eighties Sunday papers were enormous. Yeah, enormous. I, I remember. So, so I grew up on a hobby farm, and there was a couple times we had outdoor cats and stuff, and and I remember a couple times like a cat would get a mama cat would get pregnant, and she'd have you know six, seven, eight kittens or something. And the first time we ever, this was a huge mistake by our family. We went to the Star Tribune and we paid like, I think it was like 50 bucks or something. We paid like 50 bucks. We just wanted to give the kittens away. We didn't want to keep them. We had too many cats. Um, and we and we, and we we were like, I mean, we could charge 100 bucks, but like, wait, who cares? Let's just, let's just give the kittens away. So we put an ad in the Star Tribune classified section on a Saturday, mm-hmm. free kittens, thinking, oh, this will be easy. We'll just 
So we'll, they'll just the phone will ring and we'll just get rid of the kittens. The phone rang for two straight days. Oh my god. Oh sure, yeah. Like it literally just yeah. it just kept ringing for two straight days, and we just eventually we just ignored it. But that was that was my only experience with the classified section. And the the key was it was the home phone that rang for two straight days. Yes, that's true. So people <laughs> looked in the classifieds and called your home phone, both yeah. of which now essentially do not exist. But yeah, Very. it was a huge. But I I thought that that part of the storyline in this film was really good because it was like, and the thing. I liked is the film was not really that short, but they did a really good job of emphasizing things and telling stories fairly quickly. I yeah. thought your least favorite part about Dirty Harry, Judd. Um, there were a lot of parts that were very like questionable as far as how they tracked or didn't track, w- which was not a huge deal. Um, I had a couple. One is at the start of the film, the woman in the um, rooftop, the old school rooftop swimming pool, who gets shot by the sniper, the first to, to get shot by Scorpio. So that was a great opening scene. Yeah, it was really cool. It was a great scene, except the detectives come and pull her lifeless body out of the water, and but they show her by her dead body being put in the body bag by the pool again. Mm-hmm. But there, the pool is not being drained, and there's no blood in the pool. There was blood in the pool. Yeah. So what, was there the second time? There was blood in the pool for sure. It was. Like, I saw it the first like time. The corner. Like, are you saying first time I like saw when, the, when, when she gets shot? And yeah. Then saying, I, that, and then you, no. When, when she's, then I saw it, but when, I was looking for it the second time, and I didn't see it. When she's So when her dead body is, is up next to the pool, the blood has sort of dissipated all throughout the pool, and there's red in the, in the oh, corner okay. of the pool. Oh, okay. I didn't see it. Got I, it. I didn't see it. Okay. And my second, my second thing was, so this guy's clearly crazy. He's been on a shooting spree in San Francisco from rooftops, okay? And Eastwood, Harry's tactics are questionable. Mm-hmm. But you're telling me the district attorney is going to call in <laughs> basically a retired judge and have him say, we can't get an indictment here, just let him go. Yeah. And that you're going to unleash, that that an elected official in the city is going to unleash this madman back into the City yeah. because Harry Callahan mm, sort of violated his rights. Also, like, couldn't you? I make, don't think you do that. I, I get that he violated some rights, but he also like attacked a police officer, and they had they found yeah. an illegal weapon on him, well, and, and all plus, these different things. Plus, Harry was right. He is pursuing what they think is not yet a dead girl. Now she was dead. But, I mean, that gives you the right to do a lot, a lot of drastic things. And he admitted to kidnapping and on the phone call And he pointed out, and Harry said right. he, and they're like, well, I asked this retired judge, and we just can't do it. Yeah, by the way, he's the one calling the pay phones, and Harry's <laughs> just picking them up. So if you've got if you've yeah. got someone calling a payphone, you pick it up, and he admits that he has kidnapped a woman and is going to kill her. Yeah, he was, okay. like, like I've <laughs> seen a lot. So I, I was like, so... An elected official is going to basically turn this guy back loose because the detective or or inspector, which I love that term, the inspector didn't totally do things by the book. That one was a little bit of a uh, reach to me. I'm with you because you watched an you watched an hour and a half of evidence gathering. Yeah, even if some of it was like not admissible in court, there's got to be something. They got mm-hmm. Al Capone on tax fraud, for exactly. tax evasion. So exactly, and get this guy in something. Dex, what was your least favorite part about this movie? All right, so. Well, for starters, before I get into the, the main one, I did not when, – when they're having their little battle in the park and, you know, the and Scorpio all, almost kills him and then uh, Clint Eastwood's able to stab him in the leg with that knife and then Harry's able to, like, get bandaged up. He is somehow able to escape with, with a knife in his 
femur, it looks like, like in like the main part of his leg. <laughs> and it just seemed like, and, and that's, it's, I, I don't want to question the validity of the action movies because that's the sake of it, but it seemed a little far-fetched that like Harry was back on the football field shooting him like, I don't know, an hour later, and he was also, who had a pretty significant limp, was able to like walk away and wasn't completely dead or, or, or couldn't walk anymore. Like I had a little problem with that, a little nitpick in, in, in that regard. My other one was, at, for when I first started watching the movie, I was like, are you kidding me? This guy is the killer. Like, this is the main antagonist. He looks like he just graduated with a six year, like six figures of debt from San Francisco art school. I was like, you got to be that's, kidding me. I, like, that, really? That, yeah, for, that was my oh, first no, thought. Because he has, like, one. this floppy hair, and I'm like, this ha- he has to be like a pawn. Like, he's a pawn to the bigger actual bad guy. That's what yes. I first thought. This is my least favorite part, too. And okay. I, I was just like... You gotta be kidding I mean, me! Like you... this is the most San Francisco looking guy I've ever seen, and he has like this great sniper rifle, he's picking people off. He's also just like he's not he's not cool and calm and collected I, enough. I need you to gu- do all the things that he is yeah. supposed to be doing. I need you guys to Google right now, Ted Bundy. Right, but Google, I mean, I, Ted I, Bundy was like cool, calm, and calculated. But I mean, I he's think. still a sir. What what, what I from my, what my friends say about him, but <laughs> what I'm saying is is serial. Killers come in all shapes, sizes, and forms. I thought the guy was super creepy, and I I actually liked that part. I liked how so, how he looked. I'll say that as the film progressed, and you got to see how clearly deranged this man was. It it helped. It helped more. It helped me understand. Okay, so this guy could do this, but I had a little bit of a nitpick on just like the overall appearance of him because he looked like any other San Francisco Joe Schmo. Yeah, he felt he just he was super disheveled and, but that's and like the, key to the it. scenes where he's like having mental breakdowns, but then he's also putting together these. I think what doesn't make sense to me where there's dissonance is he's deranged. He's having mental breakdowns. And he's he's not cool, calm, and collected. And yet, the scheme he's putting together for the first half of the movie is very cool, calm, and collected. He's sniping people from rooftops and getting away from the police. Although, I guess he didn't notice the giant, loud helicopter above him at one no, point. No, no, I thought he so. was great. He was completely <laughs> off his rocker, and, and he was, you know, I, I actually thought that that character was well done. I liked it. Okay, I liked what, it. Let me do a little dive here. What, uh... Was that guy in anything else? Yeah, he's been been in a bunch of stuff. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and I think he's still alive. He's like 78 now. Really? Oh, wow. Yep. He's still around. A bunch of folks, of course, from the film are dead, including including the principal or or the the, uh, school president from, what's the film I'm thinking of, that was the, he was the uh, mayor in this film. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Animal House, I think, right? Hold on a second. Now now we've gone down a Wikipedia wormhole. Animal House, I think, is what he was the. uh, I think he. John Vernon. I think the mayor was. John Vernon was uh, the mayor. Dean Wormer. Yeah. Yeah. Dean Wormer. All right. So uh, the the villain here, this was his first ever movie. He was the the Scorpio Killer in 1971. Uh huh. He he made a, a bunch of appearances in just like random 70s TV shows like. Bonanza, Street San Francisco, Kojak, I think I thought him on. SWAT. SWAT was a great movie. He was great in a team episodes, The Incredible Hulk, Vegas. He was in a Walker, Texas Ranger episode. See, there you go. You've probably seen him. He just looked different. Man. Okay. Uh, movies that he was in. Oh, my God. Wow. Cobra, Hellraiser, mm. Child's Play 3. There Goes My Baby, The Puppet Masters. So, all kinds of. Homeland Security in 2004. All right. All right. Okay. Let's, let's still, he's still with us. Yeah. Not too bad. Good for him. 
Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna. My, my least favorite thing was the same thing as, as Declan's. Okay, you're the the least believable thing. We're gonna carry this question over from last week. The least be- Declan might have already gave us yeah. his, but what was the least believable thing for you in this movie? I'll give you one first, just okay. to start this. Okay. Yep. The police are just gonna give this dude a hundred thousand dollars to end the whole thing. Wasn't that their initial plan? Oh God. What does he want? Hundred thousand dollars. Well, and then at the uh, end, we'll he's like, together, I guess. "Take him to." He will go. He will go unmolested. Yes, that's what he kept saying. He will be unmolested. Yes. Yeah. You will not stop him. It's like what? That's so, but like, it. it wasn't that's like, true. "Oh, we're gonna use, we're gonna use the money as bait." They needed, like, they no, they're said, just gonna make him go away. We need some time to get the money together. I don't know why it takes like three days to get a hundred thousand dollars in San Francisco. I know it's the seventies, so it's well, inflation. But um, and then the the other least believable thing for me. The bus scene at the end, so this is me in Action Movie Rewind nitpicking bus scenes all the time. So the bus scene at the end, they've got like 10 or 12 children on this bus. Scorpio is just going mental, and this poor bus driver, she's like trying to keep it together, right? So he grabs control of the bus and like knocks her out cold. (laughs) I love when she falls over. This bus is weaving back and forth. It's ramming into cars. It's crashing through fences. And then they show a shot of the kids inside the bus. And they're all just like sitting in their seats still screaming. Like, there's no seatbelts on well, this and bus. How about the, Those kids would be flying all over the place. They'd be flying out the window. <laughs> and how about the fat kid who starts crying? Well, yeah, because he got smacked upside the head. I thought the guy was going to kill him finally. Like, it's like, would you quit crying? Well, you have to. I don't, I don't like hitting the child was what, was what probably put me over the edge with this bad guy. Actually, like, all right, dude. I, the creepiest thing, I think, in the entire film was when they find the girl buried and she's naked and they like. Pull her up, and I think she was completely. It was very. It was like you. It was like you really didn't need to show us all. Like I get what you're saying. I get what's going on. Actually, it kind of felt like I don't know when. Like the first like naked women started showing up in mainstream movies, but it almost feels like it's the early seventies. Yeah, that's right. We're San Francisco. We're loosey goosey. We can do more in films than we could do twenty years ago with the way culture and counterculture are going. Let's just put a bunch of random naked women in this movie. That's what it kind of felt like. Did we need the like the random naked gal in the window a couple times that was early? Hot like, Mary? That, you mean Hot, hot Mary? Mary but yeah, did, Hot Mary. But at least she's alive. But like, like, what I was don't the need point, to see dead people. What was the point of showing her naked? I think it was movie? a 70s thing. I think it was very much a 70s thing. <laughs> yeah. They're just like the topless, in the kitchen The naked? topless shot, yeah. Yeah, I think that was a very, very... Uh, <laughs> you're, you're right. Basically, they said... We can do it. Let's we, do yeah, it. We can put naked people in these movies. Um, great. So, so the one thing to me that uh, among the things that weren't really plausible at all was so so Harry follows Scorpio around, which makes perfect sense because he's basically trying to keep, keep track, which is smart seeing as how he's been allowed to basically walk free. But when Scorpio goes to the guy and gets himself beat up, okay, to tr- to try and frame Harry and the cops. And then he basically gets beat up to a complete pulp. He's taken, he, he goes to uh, get care. He's on a hospital gurney. And the assembled media is there waiting <laughs> to talk to Scorpio. Like, it's like not one guy. It's like five people. And they're like interviewing him on the stretcher. And he's giving a complete coherent play-by-play. After, I mean, he would have a concussion. He got the crap kicked out of him. And he's like, San Francisco police d- 
did this. Do you know who? Yeah, Harry Callahan did this to me. I it, mean, it, it's, it really? Was, it was like a post game, like the football coach yes. comes out and like beat writer Judd's right there. So what did you think? What happened yeah. in the first half? There? So tell me, uh, tell me, coach, what exactly <laughs> happened on that play there? As you're laying on, and then and then Scorpio, who who has bandaged, he's bandaged up his whole faces. He gets out. He, he gets released after getting care at the hospital, and he's got like one little bandage on his face. Yeah. No, it's hilarious. And <laughs> and even like one of the reporters, so there's all these reporters and cameras, and I don't even know how they're like even allowed to be where they are That's, in that hospital. But I don't either. But they're they're rushing this guy to surgery or whatever recovery room and they're asking him all these questions and the and the one reporter says, Nurse, just please stop. Well, I need to ask him one more question. It's like nobody, you stop. It's like <laughs> last, last question for Scorpio. <laughs> Like Bob Hagen, last question. Yeah, time for two more. Yeah, time for two more. Time, time, time for two, two more for Scorpio before we before we go take him into brain surgery. But he'll be out later today, running around San Francisco. Oh, Harry Callahan did this. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Dex. Anything else that didn't stand out as believable in this movie? No, I think you guys covered most of them. Okay. Yeah, those are the main ones. I would say. Okay, the other thing about this movie, and I found a ranking on Thrillist.com. This was a very San Francisco movie. Mm-hmm. I love San Francisco. I have family in Santa Rosa, and so I make a trip every three, four years. Uh, and it's like it's it's a city with all kinds of amazing things, dark things, history. There's all kinds of things. And this movie, like it hit on everything. It hit on it hit on city culture. The city's a star. Yes, like it, it's a definite star. The Golden film. Gate Bridge. Yep. So I've got a list of the twenty most San Francisco movies of all time, according to Thrillist. Okay. I'm just going to run through this, and you guys tell me if you've seen some of these. A couple of these have showed up on Action Movie Rewind, including Forty Eight Hours, number one. It's a very San Francisco movie. Okay. They go through uh, Chinatown, and they're all running around. The Rock. The Rock. I was going to say, definitely mm-hmm. Alcatraz. Yeah, they did a good job too. Star Trek Four from nineteen eighty six. Uh, I will never be seeing it, so yep. I don't know. Really, yeah. Star Trek Four? What the? I'm a Star Wars guy, not a Star. Yeah, I, I've no, never they, seen it, but they both can. That's fine. Dirty Harry makes. Yeah, the they list did here. a great. Yeah, great job. Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh yeah, great film. I've I great saw I, mean, I saw that in, in the Francisco. theater. I saw that in the theater. I have oh. almost no recollection of San Francisco, Classic. but yep. It's a great movie. Classic movie. Uh, Cuffs from 1992. Nope. Never seen it. The Maltese Falcon from 1941. Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. Okay. And it says here, shot for shot, vibe for vibe, San Francisco. Really? I have not seen well, that movie. Is uh, I don't know if not to spoil it, but is, is Zodiac? Zodiac is not on this list. I'll, okay. I'll get to a couple honorable mentions here. The Presidio, Pacific Heights, Big Trouble in Little China, Crackers, Bullet, Time After Time, Inside Out, The Conversation, Vertigo, that's a classic, from 58, The Game from 1997. To me, it doesn't it doesn't feel San Francisco because a lot of it happens at night, but um, that's a great movie. Blue Jasmine and a special mention for Godzilla in 2014. No, maybe he's terrorizing San Francisco. The ones that didn't make this movie, The Zodiac. I don't know how The Zodiac yeah, how does doesn't make this make... movie. <laughs> I don't understand how that would not Shouldn't that be it. in the top three? <laughs> yes. It's like the most yes. famous serial killer case in U.S. history, San Francisco. Yeah. Escape from Alcatraz doesn't make this yeah, list. What the hell? If you're going to put The Rock on this list, right. Escape from Alcatraz has to be above this. That's another Clint Eastwood movie. Yep. And where's Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco? Oh, yeah. Great sequel. Seriously. Chance, Sassy, Homeward, Homeward Bound 2. They're lost in San Francisco. Homeward Bound 2. 
some other interesting notes here from the internet, from Wikipedia. Clint Eastwood's influence. I'm just going to read this section for you guys. Eastwood's iconic portrayal of the blunt, cynical, unorthodox detective who is seemingly in perpetual trouble with his incompetent bosses set the style for a number of his later roles and indeed a whole genre of loose cannon cop films to come. The film resonated with an American public that had become very weary and frustrated with the increasing violent urban crime that was characteristic of the time. The Republicans love this film is what you're saying. <laughs> so you could you could make a case that this, this, is this the Dirty Harry sort of launched like Lethal Weapon. This and, also might have been the first cop film to have the the standalone cop say, I don't want a partner. You're taking your partner. He's your new partner, right? Because we, we had that, that whole scene. How many scenes have we seen of the cop? I don't need a partner. I work alone. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And this was him saying, all right, I'll take the partner. Yeah. And apparently his other partners, one got shot and killed. The other was like still a bullet still in his stomach or something. Yeah, well, he said the one, he said the, the one tried to save a jumper, and I think the jumper jumped onto him, and they both fell to, to their death. Because that, yeah. that's the explanation that he goes through when he talks about it's hard to find the body parts, and we can't identify you because there's blood on your ID, blah, blah, blah. So he threw his badge into the into the water right at the end. He, he just resigned. Which I actually want to get to because I I now re, I now realize where the influence for one of my favorite films in two ways came from. <laughs> Point Break. Point Break. Okay, are you telling me that Keanu also did not take a lot of instruction on acting in his role as an FBI agent Johnny Utah from Harry Callahan? Yeah. Like, think about how they talk, the cadence, um, the badge at the mm. end. I think there's a lot of of the original Dirty Harry in Point Break. I got those vibes from, um, in this movie, for Timothy Oliphant, who's one of my all-time favorite guys. You know who that is? Mm-mm. He's in Justified. Good actor. Um, yeah, he's been in Deadwood. Okay. He, basic, he has played a sheriff slash marshal in like four to five different movies and or TV shows. And I got a lot of vibes from him yeah. from Dirty Harry, too. Obviously, Clint Eastwood is you know, one of the most iconic and successful actors of all time. And Timothy Oliphant's a, a good actor. I wouldn't put him in, obviously, like a Mount Rushmore or on the same iconic status as Clint. But th- I got a lot of similar vibes with Judd was saying, too, from, from him as well. Well, did you know that Clint Eastwood almost didn't get to set this whole vibe? Oh. Because according to Wikipedia, although Dirty Harry is arguably Clint Eastwood's signature role, mm-hmm. he was not a top contender for the part. The role of Harry Callahan was offered to John Wayne. Now, wait, wait, wait. Wouldn't he have been really old at that time to do that role? Yeah, he died in like he died in like the he died mid seventies. Yeah, but I was just going to say. So, if he had played th- that role, though, I think he would have been in his sixties. Like, like John Wayne in John Wayne's prime would have been probably great. Yeah, uh, but that seems like a real like John Wayne would have been, been really... sixty four years old. Oh, boy. Okay, interesting. He lived hard, too, so he, he didn't look like a young 64. No, no, he was a cowboy, man. So John Wayne was offered the role. Mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra was offered the role. Later on, Robert Mitchum, Steve McQueen, and Burt Lancaster were all offered the role. Okay, McQueen would have been great. McQueen yes. as Harry Callahan would have been outstanding. At that time, he would have been a perfect match for that role, too. And in his 1980 interview with Playboy, George C. Scott claimed that he was initially <laughs> offered the role, really? but the script's violent nature led him to turn it down. That's amazing. 
When producer Jennings Lang initially could not find an actor to take the role of Callahan, he sold the film rights to ABC Television. Although ABC wanted to turn it into a television film, the amount of violence in the script was deemed excessive for television. You think? So the rights were sold to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers purchased the script with a view to casting Frank Sinatra in the lead, and uh, it wound up not working out with Frank Sinatra. What is up with Frank in these roles? Yeah, what was the other one? Die Hard. Yeah, he was promised Die Hard. But he was just way too old by that time. Because <laughs> that script but started taking Sina- effect 20 how years How would Sinatra, like I might be totally wrong here, but it doesn't click in my brain how, how Sinatra as Harry Callahan would have worked. Who's his agent back in the day, man? He was Genius go- agent. He was yeah. good. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. like what would Sinatra be? Hey, hold on there. <laughs> break into a little. Hey. <laughs> hey, here's my friend. Here's my partner, Dean Martin. Hey, Dean, are you drunk today? <laughs> Uh, there's also wow. been real-life copycat crime and killers from this movie. This film supposedly inspired a real-life crime, the Faraday School Kidnapping. In October 1972, soon after the release of the movie in Australia, of course. two armed men, one whom coincidentally had the last name Eastwood, kidnapped a teacher and six schoolchildren in Victoria. They demanded a $1 million ransom. The state government agreed to pay, but the children managed to escape and the kidnappers were subsequently jailed. Then, in September 1981, a case occurred in Germany under circumstances quite similar to the Barbara Jane Mackle case. A 10-year-old girl was buried alive in a box filled with ventilation, lighting, and sanitary systems to be held for ransom. The girl suffocated in her prison within 48 hours of her abduction because autumn leaves had clogged the ventilation duct. Mm. 27 years later, a couple was arrested and tried for kidnapping and murder on circumstantial evidence, the case was also dealt with in the German TV series, which I cannot pronounce. So there were two copycat cases Interesting. off of Dirty So th- this was based at, at the time on Z- Zodiac Killer, right? This movie? This was based on, yeah, that killer, I believe. Uh, w- which is interesting in itself because I believe it was still an ongoing case and, and it was. at the time. I mean, so they I mean based, it still is. Yeah. So they, so, they took, uh, so they took what was what had started and basically said, this looks like a good movie. Mm-hmm. It's a very... Uh, Interesting dynamic. Uh, anything else before we get to definitive bad guy rankings here? Mm, we covered see, yeah. quite a bit there. We got. Oh, I've got w- one more. So, <laughs> Scorpio turns up at the hospital the first time. To Dex's point, he's been stabbed in the leg. Like, I would guess that a lot of pe- people at that point in time w- would know that, you know, an officer was attacked, right? Or something like that. But they let him go. And then Harry's got got to go basically grill the doctor on who this guy is. It's like if I had a suspect who was a, at the very best, seedy-looking guy come into my hospital, right? And he's been stabbed, and i got to clean up his leg and the wound, and it's actually a fairly significant wound. Am I just not going to call the cops at all and be like, okay, see you later, bye. What's your name, Scorpio? Bye, Scorpio. <laughs> and then the cops come and are like, have you seen this guy? Be like, I, d- I don't know. I am not. I think so. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, also, the other thing, too, in this movie is you, now there's so many cases are solved just based on DNA evidence, right? Yeah. Where if, like, if you find a bullet on top of a roof, there's probably DNA evidence on it. Or there right. may or not there be, and you would then. just solve the case. 1971, there wasn't. And it just, it, I don't know why that just occurred to me, but. Like the, the like Scorpio as the name of the killer here, Zodiac signs, like it's all yep. definitely it's definitely a copycat concept for sure. Last thing, the sports thing. So so where he works on the grounds crew, the oh, yeah. bad guy, 
Kizar Stadium yep. is famous in this town for this. The home of Jim Marshall's 1964 oh, Wrong right. Way Run. So this is is this before Candlestick Park? Uh, this is a, this is actually after it. I believe no, Candlestick had opened, but the Niners didn't move there until like seventy ish or so. Okay. So I think I think I read this. I believe that the Niners had just moved out at, at that time to go play at the Stick, and the Raiders and the grounds. Crew guy Scorpio has a Raiders pennant in his locker. There, they had played their first AFL season in the '60s. There, yes. But anyway, Marshall's wrong way run in '64 took place at Kizar Stadium. You're right. So the San Francisco 49ers' first year at a different stadium, so at at Candlestick Park, was 1971, the year that this movie came out. Mm -hmm. And I think they had just, I think they had just moved, which freed the film up to use it. Yeah. And the San Francisco Giants were playing at Candlestick starting in 1960. Correct. So they weren't using this field for anything. And then they were... And I think it was a football field only at the time. Yep. And they were in Brooklyn before they got to San Francisco. So, interesting. All right. Definitive bad guy rankings here. The Scorpio Killer. I'm just going to give you guys the rankings we have so far, and you can kind of tell me where we think we should go here. So Hans Gruber from Die Hard, number one. Michael Myers from Halloween, number two. Cyrus the Virus from Con Air, number three. Brad Wesley from Roadhouse is fourth. Cobra Kai from Karate Kid is fifth. Mr. Joshua from Lethal Weapon. Ivan Drago, the Russian mobsters from John Wick. Dennis Hopper from Speed and Bodie from Point Break. At the bottom, we've got all kinds of nondescript things like the muggers from Death Wish, the incompetent Russian military in Rambo 3, French drug lord from Bad Boys, Gans and Billy Bear from 48 Hours, Sloan from Wanted. In the middle, I'll give you some in the middle here, okay? The Albanian traffickers in Taken, the Camachos and Lunas in Code of Silence, the rogue CIA agent from The Expendables, angry terrorist Ivan from Air Force One, and the corrupt senator from Hard to Kill. I think I think he's below the corrupt senator from Hard to Kill. So and that and that's like middle. It's kind of middle of the pack there. Okay, mm-hmm. I think he's like so diabolical and psychological. Like he lacks the iconic. I don't think I. He plays a very iconic thing in the Zodiac Killer, but I think his role in general isn't necessarily iconic. At least that's how I interpreted it as. Yeah, I, you guys. He's yeah. There's there's no iconic factor here for the me. The star sure. of the film is only one person. Right. Yes. Right. Right. Like there's no room to share but the he's, screen. He's pretty diabolical. That I don't know if I can put him any lower than like half. Like I I think he's in the middle to third tier. I'd put him I at, think. I'd, I'd put him at the top of the secondary list around okay. there. So I w- so here's here's where the, li- the the top and the middle sort of blend together, okay? Right. Bodie from Point Break, Dom from Fast and the Furious, Victor Maitland from Beverly Hills Cop, Colonel Stewart and General Esperanza from Die Hard 2, that was last week, and uh, Paul Giamatti's character Hurts from Shoot 'em Up. I think he's more diabolical than Hurts. Like Hurts is just creepy as hell. I think he's above Hurts from Shoot 'Em Up. Yeah, I, I'd I put him slight. I would put him one space above the characters from last week's film. Okay, I'm good with that. Okay, so he so he's outside the top ten, and he's sort of at the top of that second tier, and that brings us to he could have been iconic if Clint had allowed for it. Yeah, this, like I feel like you could have because the the characters really well played, but it was very much like, hey, this is my film, and you'll get something. Yeah. Okay, 1 through 10 ranking system here for this movie. The only perfect 10s are Die Hard and Halloween. Taken, John Wick, Commando, Beverly Hills Cop are all a 9 or above. 
And then we have The Fast and the Furious, The Expendables, Top Gun, Roadhouse, Hard to Kill, Rocky Four, Bad Boys, Independence Day, Point Break, all above an eight. I'm going to go through the whole list here for people that are – we do this every Friday, and a lot of people have probably jumped in like midseason. Code of Silence, Die Hard 2, Lethal Weapon, Casino Royale, Karate Kid, Speed, all above a seven. Out for Justice, Con Air, The Rock, all in the six range. Death Wish, 48 Hours, Pineapple Express, and Air Force One, all a five to a six. And then uh, the ones that are below a five are Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, Rambo 3, Wanted, Mad Max 2, Bloodsport, and Shoot 'em Up. Those are the bottom ones. Okay. So one through ten, Judd Zilgad. Um, The bad guy's not iconic, but the film itself is iconic. I'm going to give it an eight. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, iconic factor, uh, in, enjoyability factor. I think personality of the movie matters here. So. It, it holds up, in my opinion, yeah. for 1971 pretty damn well. Mm-hmm. I'll give it an eight. I actually, I give it a nine. Ooh. I give it a nine out of ten. And yes, the, the bad guy iconicness holds it back from being a perfect ten, but the movie's very captivating. It still holds up. Dirty Harry and Clint Eastwood, I mean, it, it's great. I really do think that Clint Eastwood's character still holds up to this day. And as someone who hasn't seen a lot of old Clint Eastwood, I was totally into this movie. And and I'm usually the guy who picks like current to, in the most in the millennium movies on the, on these action movie rewinds. So having to go back to 1971, I was thoroughly impressed. I give it a nine out of ten. So I and, and this is going to sound like a rip. I'm giving it a seven point five. I'm not going to change mine hearing yours. I really like this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dirty Harry slash Clint Eastwood, iconic figure, some iconic lines in this movie, and I just felt like. It dragged a little bit. Like there was a little bit of a false ending there. That I I I, I thought false if it was a more iconic bad guy, yeah. and if it did, you probably could have cut ten or fifteen minutes off to make it even snappier. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not here to rip it. It's a good movie, and I'm giving it a seven point five. So so it's an eight point two, which puts it just on the outside of our top ten, right behind Roadhouse, Hard to Kill, and Rocky Four. So, Roadhouse. So pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right, so here's how it works. Uh, as of about a month ago, we take a listener submission, and then we all submit our own, and we put these up for vote, and then you guys decide on my Twitter account, at Phil Mackey. We'll leave the poll up for three days. You'll decide what we watch and review for next Friday's Action Movie Rewind. Let's start with, uh, I'll throw the listener one out, and then we'll go around the room. Zach H. Wants to nominate True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger okay. from the mid-90s. I like it. A classic 90s yeah, yeah. action movie. I'm in on that. If Arnold. that wins, yep. I'm in. All right, Judd. I'm going back to the well again because you know what? Until it wins, I might as well just keep going back to, to the well because Steven Seagal is one of the great thespians of all time under siege. All right. Under siege was just one Fine. percentage yeah. point. I'm glad it lost. So. Should have done a recount. I'm going to go Stop the count. with, it, it breaks our rules. I think it's a little over two hours, just like just over a fraction of two hours. But I'm going to go with 19, it's a Keanu Reeves movie. I'm going with 1999's The Matrix. Oh. We're going to do The Matrix. Right. Two hours, 16 minutes. A little long. I think we can break. The, there's a couple on my list, too, that are over two hours. And if they are I- iconic enough or star someone who's iconic enough, then I think it, I agree. it usurps. And I'm going to, speaking of iconic, I'm going to throw out... I think it's a late 80s or early 90s classic. Um, this was originally supposed to be what Beverly Hills Cop was. Sylvester Stallone decided, no, I want I want it to be more like this. And they said, well, then you can make your own movie. Cobra with right. Sylvester Stallone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Okay. Late 80s. So True Lies, Under Siege, The Matrix, and Cobra. True Lies might not be a bad pick if, we, if that wins. I wouldn't mind. We'll put that up again if it doesn't because I'd love to do True Lies uh-huh. at some point. 
So there it is. That's a wrap on Action Movie Rewind. Every single Friday, we do entirely two deep dives into corny and uh, noteworthy action movies. I'm Mackie and Judd. We're looking for a bag, man. You want the job? Yeah. Okay, you got it. I'll be in the chief's office at 6 p.m. All right. Wait a minute. Uh, What about me? You're up. No cover, not even one man. Are you sure that's the way to do it? No, I'm not sure. But those are my orders, all right? No wonder they call him Dirty Harry. Always gets the end of the stick. I discovered that uh, even a little harmless acronym when you use the name uh, Trump is going to fire the troops up. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I just did a sampling of the comments. There was about 400 in the Star Tribune. And, and as usual, when you get 400 comments, it's 12 people insulting each other. You know, it's, it's actually, oh, not, yeah, yeah. it's not 400 people. It's 12 uh, people insulting each other. But uh, these are interesting times. I got a lot of emails, too, from uh, more thoughtful uh people you know not just crazy internet anonymous people but the more thoughtful people who you know seem reasonable businessmen who are convinced that uh that uh, this has been a great conspiracy against donald so it's but my theory is for 40 years that thing's been satire why can't it be satire now (laughs) oh it definitely can be why does it have to be taken as this uh horrible shock at the president which it which it wasn't. I mean, I got more horrible shots I could take. That, uh, <laughs> that uh, you know, that that. Uh, but this was, uh, I I thought this was the height of subtlety. But uh, I guess not. So anyway. So who who came in a close second to Mark Coyle? Oh, I don't know. He was a cinch from the you know from about the, when I decided I was going to do it. He was pretty well a cinch. I think some more attention should have been given to the Twins losing 18 straight in the playoffs was uh, was pretty good. I didn't want to go through the whole litany of the Astros cheating and uh, all right. the other, you know, all, all, all the other things. It was just kind of a, a breezy little uh, re- return of the of the turkey. But uh, I would imagine if we would have uh, avoided giving it the coil, it probably would have been the twins for losing 18 straight post games because postseason games because you more more you think about it yes this is monumental this yes. is like this is this yes. is like this is the greatest upset in Minnesota sports in uh, in a bad way but it's it's a it's a phenomenon it's it's incredible so I it, guess we could have, and that way you can kind of include generations <laughs> you know you could include. It goes back to uh, the second game in 04. It goes, doesn't it? Does it go back to Phil Cuzzy? I think it does, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it was yes. the, second, the second game. In, right. They won the first game, the second game in New York uh, in Yankee Stadium. And I don't think you should pout about a call for 17 years. You know, I, I think you should, pout, uh, you know, jump up there and win one once. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, it, it's amazing how they have uh, managed not to hit in the, uh, while losing these 17 games, it's uh, it's uh, 18 games in a row. It, that that probably would have been the champion, yes. And in baseball, it's a remarkable streak. Oh God! Like it's God. damn near this impossible. Is, you know, this isn't like Vanderbilt losing 18 straight games to Alabama. You know, mm-hmm. that's uh, you know, this is this is real. Uh, this is real uh, stuff because of the of the random nature of baseball. So you know, you're you're gonna win too, whether you want to or not, right? 
Yes. Guardy Tigers. Guardy Tigers could have played 18 games against the Yankees and in that period of time and won a game or two, for goodness sake. So anyway, that was that was that was probably the uh, the twins. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, we didn't really bash them properly for this. No, we did we? no, we did it's not. That's not, that's absolutely right. It was because because actually, considering all they went, you know, the injuries and everything they had, and the you know the, the nature of the season, I I thought they were about as good as we thought they were going to be. Right, it's season wise, so it, it yeah. wasn't the season. Yeah. But then to go out and puke against Houston two games in a row was. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was an achievement. There's no doubt about it. This is a streak that should be celebrated, damn it. And I don't think we're <laughs> celebrating it nearly no, enough. No, you know, the pandemic has caused us to uh, ignore a lot of things that certainly deserve to be to yes. be uh, to be dwelled on more. But it's, uh, you know, uh, I see PJ's figured it out. He doesn't have to play Northwestern either in all likelihood. Uh, no, can, probably not. We can maybe avoid that one, too. <laughs> then you go three and three. And you got a chance to play Wisconsin on December nineteenth if you want to. If you got it, you can probably tell the Big no. Ten. Listen, oldest series in college football. Forget the crossover. Get you know whoever was going to cross over and play Wisconsin and Minnesota. Have them play each other so we can keep this great tradition going. I got a hunch we aren't going to uh, uh, stand up and uh, and. Uh, Hey, I'd like to that. play. I'd like to get my ass kicked by the Badgers. Please. I think we're settled for Rutgers. We'll settle for uh, <laughs> taking on the mighty Rutgers or whoever else finishes sixth over there, right? Uh, yeah. So, Viking and Gophers will be two and three. Oh no! Then then they get to play Nebraska in the disappointment bowl, right? That would be like the the flop of the year bowl. It can be a real battle. Scott Frost, man, he's seven and what did I see? Seven and. 15 or something. Oh, well, they're Big awful. Ten since he and got there. They're, oh, they're they were God awful. The other day, they just, who'd I watch them against? They just, and that shows you how bad Penn State is because they, that's Nebraska's one win, right? Is mm-hmm. Penn State? Well, Penn State's a, yeah, Penn State's a mess right now, too. Wow. But, but Nebraska's program is just not good. And no. they, they were the ones who were clamoring to have the Big Ten play that, you know, all upset that the Big Ten was not going to play football. I, I tweeted that. Why, so why didn't they just say, yeah, you know what, we're not going to play this yeah. season? Well, this running back that the Gophers, the backup running back here, is from there. Mm. Right. He's from Omaha, I think. I did not know kid, that. Isn't he? I think he's from there. That's very possible, yeah. You know, and he was a three-and-a-half star or something. I mean, he's a guy in Nebraska. How could anybody from Omaha come to here instead of go to Nebraska? <laughs> Why would you possibly do that? I hey, PJ, know. man. Yeah. PJ convinced him. People I love PJ. You know no, that. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to take a serious look at that instead of my my basic instinct, which to say is, uh, is uh, you know, that he's just full of baloney and, you know, he's a pain in the arse and everything. Mm-hmm. But I seriously wonder if he's going to have a shelf life. I seriously wonder if that whole shtick is going to wear out, even with the youth of America. I you know think, what? You know this. Uh, we had the one kid. Thank God, this one kid. I'm very proud of him. Who said, "I just want to come there, go to school, and play football. I don't want to solve all of the world's problems. <laughs> you know, I want. I want to be a student. I want to get a degree. I want to play football. Go have some drinks I, at I Sturbs. I don't want to have to make." 
this guy look good by going to hand out turkeys or some damn thing you know i mean a lot of right. a lot of the kids do that and but uh the, I, I i wonder if i'm seriously i i wonder if the shtick worked i i think he's a i think he's a seven or eight year guy anywhere i i can't see him being a 20 year guy anywhere. do you know what's going to cost him What's going to cost him is, and I don't know that he has the ability to correct this. If he does not slow down and start to learn how to coach in game, yes, he's never going to make it big time. Well, like this other, will be the, it. The other thing that frightens you, should frighten you about him, is how veteran coaches with a good level of success bail. You know mm-hmm. that the. Offensive coordinator at Penn State, who's probably not real popular right now, but he's a lot better than the guy they got now here, this Sanford, who's gotten fired every place. And, uh, you know, the Warner, now he went to, you know, he got a good job. Warner, didn't he go to Michigan, right? I mean, but he's got assistants that they keep bailing out. It seems to me the only assistants that he can keep are the young guys who are half grateful to have the job. If, if, if you've been around a real professional coach even though it's it's college i mean the coaches are professionals when they're making four million if you've been around a professional coach and i think it's got to be hard to buy into that bs for more than a couple of years you know just observing how many coaches he's lost already i think if you watch him coach in game and the timeouts and the just sort of panic stuff ragging the officials i think that would that would bug me as a coach there's times to rag the officials, but constantly is not the time. You also you also cannot run on the field. Like, he doesn't understand this. You cannot run on the field when you're upset or somebody's hurt just no. because you think you can. Yes. And the, like thing if, at I, the thing at Iowa last year, which everybody gave him, you know, oh, well, he was worried about his player. B.S., his player was getting ready to stand up when yes. he was running out there. And uh, it was just him, you know, being a immature. He's immature. He's right. an immature coach. He's a he's a at times he's a very juvenile coach. And uh I'm you know, I I think he's a recruiter, he's a seller for sure. He's got he's a salesman, but whether he's a coach or not, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Whether he's a game planner, does he even bother? Now a lot of aren't, obviously, but uh you know, a lot of them let their other guys you know, Les Miles was finding out uh when you're not really a coach and you you rely on all your assistants to do the coaching and great, great talents. Yes. And then you suddenly go someplace where you have to coach Kansas. He's in trouble. And I think that's what, but this guy, I I don't, I'm coaching him up. I don't think that's going to be his deal. I don't, I don't think it. And he's going to have to get the right assistance. And whether he has the right assistance or not right now, because he's had so much turnover, it's uh, it's 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 a question that's for sure. Did you happen to watch any of the football on Thanksgiving Day? You know what? <laughs> I turned on the Lions <laughs> about the as I said, the middle of the third quarter, and I listened for a while, and I watched for a while, and I said, you know what's missing here on Thanksgiving in Detroit? The booze. <laughs> you know, I miss the booze. <laughs> Just think of the, you know, first of all, you would have had close to a full house because on Thanksgiving, no matter how rotten they are, they get, but they start to leave, you know, they get disgruntled and by halftime, half of them are gone. Yeah. But that, I used to love, I went to, I went to at least two 
when the Vikings drilled them in the Superdome, the Silverdome. That's a and, great game, but I love that. That day is a lot of fun. It, it was, but I loved it because they just absolutely hammered them. And, you know, the booze started in the middle of the third quarter. And that, as they're walking out, they're turning around to boo and stuff like that. And uh, that, that was missing, not having any fans there. Yeah. I don't think it was Thanksgiving. My favorite Lions moment ever, though, was in Ford Field, the new one, when they, the guy held up the little sign, little sign, about, you know, three feet by four feet that said fire milling, not yep. even that big, you know, a foot by a foot and a half. Fire milling, and they caught it, and they caught it on TV, and they showed it on TV, and milling, or somebody, ordered security to take the sign away from this guy. And they ended up chasing him all over the stadium and the fans and the fans were roaring, cheering for this guy to escape from the security. Escape from the security. How stupid do you have to be? Which is the lions are traditionally the stupidest team in sports, but how stupid do you have to be to, make a big deal out of a little sign and ended up having it become, and then they started showing the chase on TV, you know, so God, they're, what, they're unbelievable. This, this, you know what? They're so bad. I was looking at poor Patricia sitting over there, Patricia or whatever, behind with his mask on. And just, I was, I was actually feeling sorry for the guy. Why? You know? He doesn't deserve it. No, he doesn't. But I just, you know, it's, Thanksgiving, you want to have good thoughts about and this poor guy. You're the Lions. He's, you can't have good thoughts. He's just uh I mean, this he's just this lump who'll never get a decent job again. Uh and he's still got the pencil behind his ear, like uh boy, he's uh You, you called know. it, Pat. And then, the lion the Lions hired him. He goes to a Super Bowl and they Nick get Foles. he makes Nick Foles <laughs> look like Dan Marino. Uh yeah, and then how about the boys that the Vikings lost to Sunday? They we talked about that. Terrible. I don't know. What I know. was that? I know. I don't have any idea. Well, the pass rush was—I mean, Dalton against Houston. They got a couple of pass rushers, but his life was in danger. About from what I watched, yes, and he looked—he looked one hundred percent once again like Andy Dalton, didn't he? And the Vikings didn't pressure him. No. Like, what, four times or something they blitzed? Yeah, it was a ridiculously low stat. And, you know, they let him run. I mean, it was a – I want Deshaun Watson, my proposed trade. I retweeted Cousins, you. Cousins, I've changed it now from three number ones, four number ones and two number twos, and Cousins. They got to take Cousins. The money works, so. That is the height. You you have joined the Reckless Speculation <laughs> yes, Club yes. in a May. You dove into the deep end of the pool. Well, the fact that they fired O'Brien probably limits any chance of Deshaun demanding to get out, you know. Uh, right. I, I would think if O'Brien was still there. Well, what's Romeo Cornell, like 4-1 and one with him since he got there or something? I think he's... Yeah, he's been pretty good. Yeah. He's also 75 73, I think I read. I, I saw, I thought he was 73. And Romeo's done this before. Taken over, gotten the job, and then the long-term. Got the early, got the quick hit, but not the uh, not the long-term hit. Yeah. 
So I like it though. Deshaun is fantastic. I think oh, he's I, a I think he's great. fun player to watch. He beat, he, beat, uh, he beat the hell out of Alabama. <laughs> yeah. National championship game. Uh, so uh, yes. It, uh, so four first round picks and Kirk. Oh, whatever they want. <laughs> hey, young lady, I'm on the phone here. Could you quiet down there, please? Thank you. She's The wife's ripping open a bag of something here. So it probably came to, to your doorstep. You're you probably know. poor because of it. No, I, yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but anyway, sorry if it's, uh, that's fine. It's absolutely fine. A little disturbance here. Turkey day. Good. We had more food. We knew what to do with because we thought we we might have five, six people here and we ended up with us. So I managed to give half of it away though. So that was good. But, uh, it was good. It was good. It was good. Now she's commenting while I'm on the radio. Thank you. Podcast. So, okay. Anyhow, we well, managed to give half of it away. Excuse me. Oh, that's that's very good. That's mm-hmm. good. All right, Patrick. Thank you very much. All we'll talk right. to you next. See you later. All right, bye. bye. Roycey, and don't forget Roycey Unchained uh, that we do on Mondays um, each week as well. If you would like about an hour uh, dosage of that from Patrick, I believe we're done, Declan. Right? We are. We are done. We'll be uh, we'll be back on Sunday for for Vikings Ventline. Obviously, after uh, when Teddy Bridgewater. Makes me cry a puddle of tears after he carves up the Vikings. That's right. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back. That's right. Post game event line. And um, when is Phil going to post on Twitter on his account? I believe our uh, our four choices for AMR mm-hmm. next week. I don't think they're up yet as we record this on Friday. Correct. Is that right? They're not up yet. He usually does post them on Friday, and I believe the polls typically run through the weekend up until like Monday afternoon. And that's so. at Phil. And that that's at Phil's Twitter account. So go yes. find that and vote and vote under siege so i can quit every week basically i mean we had a i mean this was the closest one ever we had three we had three we should stop choices within a within a percent and a half and yeah you had to stop the count i i'm all although the choice was good yes your choice was was great it was it was a very good choice. very 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 fun film all right we are done we will uh, talk to you monday back at full strength that's debatable mackie and judd bye